Welcome. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us this morning. I'm glad you set out some time uh, out of your day uh, to pursue God together. And uh, before we get too far in, I have a question for you. We're going to start off today with a question. Here's my question for you. Um, just think about, think about for your life, how long would it take? How many years would it take for you based on your current practices? Not what you aspire to, not when you win the lottery next year, but how much would it take, how long would it take you today to give away a million dollars? Okay? Some of you are like, people don't live that long. Okay? How long would it take you to be able to give away a million dollars? Now, I can tell you as a church... It's taken us 16 years. In the last 16 years, we've given away a million dollars. That's awesome, right? 16 years. And, and if you work for a government agency or a nonprofit, you might hear this phrase and they'll say like uh, goods and services, right? Not, not in goods and services. In goods and services, it'd be like buco more. That, that's a technical term, buco more, right? It'd be a ton more. But in actual cash, we've given away over a million dollars in the last 16 years, which is Awesome. And you may not know this about our church, right? Um, uh, when you came in, if you're in the room, probably sitting on a chair somewhere around you, there's a little piece of paper that looks kind of like this. Um, uh, if you're joining us online, if you're joining us at live.mymcc.cc, Tana's going to put a link right in the chat box and you can go and you can see the same thing we're looking at in the room. Um, uh, we as a church, we as a church have committed for decades, for a really long time, to giving away at least 10% of all the money that comes in to this church in tithes and offerings. Now, some years it's been a higher percentage than that, but it's always been 10%. In fact, this history of generosity, we, we have a value statement that we have out on the wall that says that we will lead the way with irrational generosity. And this isn't just something we've started to do in the last couple of years. Um, this church actually was the first church in the Northwest to have a women's mission society. And the whole purpose of the women's mission society was to um, help leverage above and beyond what churches were already doing to give money away. It was a group of women who thought they could do more and they could, they could be more generous. And so uh, they created this, their own group over 100 years ago to, to collect money, to do fundraisers so that they could give money away. Um, this has been a part of our legacy. And it's awesome. It's awesome. You, you'll see on the list, this is what we're committed to the next year, right? Um, there's eight individuals and two organizations, and then at the end, it just says annual initiatives, and it's a bunch of things that happen all over the place, and $55,000 is what we're expecting to give away next year, which is awesome, but there's a little bit of a tension. The tension is this, is that the amount we give away is directly tied to the amount of money that comes in. So every time you give a dollar, we give away 10 cents. Right? Every time you give 100 bucks, we give away $10. It's directly tied. And, and, and because this place, this church, these people are a people who have desired to be generous, we've had this conversation uh, uh, with quite a few people, and they've said, like, genuinely, like, like, I have this money, I have this opportunity, I have this resource, I've been gifted something. I want to I see more given away. Right? I, I want the needs of the church to be taken care of, but I want to see um, this money go to more and more kingdom-expanding things. The, the tension is that with our current practice, 
is that we only have one system for giving money away, and that's coming in through generous giving, through, through general fund, and then we give away 10%. So this year, we're going to start a new initiative. We're going to start a new process of how we manage giving money away, um, and it might be an absolute train wreck, and if it does, we'll all go, well, that was a good experiment, um, and we tried. But... Um, I think this has the potential to really um, unleash, to really be able to do some awesome things. And here's what it's going to look like. Is that beginning this year, we're going to start doing a Christmas offering. Okay? Now, when we do a Christmas offering, 100%, not 10%, not a dime on every dollar, 100% of the money that comes into Christmas offering is going to go to funding generous giving. We, we want to do this so that, here's what we want to do. We want to do this so that the money we give away is untethered from our generous fund, right? Uh, and here's, here's a commitment. Hear me really clearly on this, okay? Hear me really clearly on this. We will give away at least 10%. Okay? If this is a miserable failure and a total bomb and like $17.32 comes in, we will still give away 10% right? We are committed to that. But what we want to do is we want to create a pathway so that for those of you who it's on your heart and for those of you who have resources and you want to be able to give more and more money away, that we have a system, that we have a pathway to untether our, the money we give away from the money that has to come in, right? So we're going to start this Christmas. We're going to start a, um, a Christmas offering. So Christmas Eve at our services. And if you give online, soon you'll be able to have an option where you'll be able to give towards Christmas offering. 100% of that money will be given away. Our goal is to exceed the $55,000. Our goal, I mean, how awesome would it be for in years to come, not too far off, for us to be giving away 20, 30, 35% of the money that comes in because of your generosity. So my ask would be for you to, to pray about it, to think about it, um, about what place God's gonna have you in this for this end of year giving campaign. And like I said, all of it 100% will be given away to one of our uh, initiative partners. Uh, one last other practical thing that I have to say, okay? Um, here's what you can't do, okay? Well, you can do, you can do whatever you want. You're grown adults, you live in America, you can do whatever you want, right? What we would ask you not to do, okay, is just to take what you are going to give, okay? Like you're gonna, you're gonna give in December, you got an amount, maybe your family gives $100, $150, whatever you give, right? And, and you decide, well, we'd really like that to go to generous giving, so we're just gonna take this that we were gonna give in December and we're gonna put it in the Christmas Eve offering. Here's the, pro the just real practical, like let's just talk real quick. Um, if all that happens, then we don't pay the light bill. And, and a candlelight service is awesome on Christmas Eve. It's really awkward in March, okay? Um, coming back January and having to lay off half the staff is unpleasant, right? Okay, so all we're gonna ask is whatever you were planning on giving in December to give that, and that this, right, this comes from a different pocket. You see, right, you've got the money. Whatever you commit to give, whatever you're disciplined in giving, to give that, and then if you're going to give to the Christmas offering, our ask is just this, is just to give from a different pocket, right? Um, a different place in your, in your budget. That's just practical, grown-up, honest talk we have to have, okay? Um, so that's what we're going to be doing, right? Which also brings us to Christmas Eve. So you also, you, hopefully you got one of these as you were coming in. Um, again, if you're online, uh, Tana's going to put a little link and you can see what we're talking about. Um, but we do this thing called Xmas at MCC, 
And if you're new here, if you're new online, uh, you, you might just be like, uh, what cult did I just walk into? Right? Because you, you know this, um, there's a, I should have looked up before I came up here, but there is a um, phenomenon in psychology that they talk about that if you repeat something often enough, people believe it's true. You know that? All you have to do is just say it often enough, and then people begin to believe that it's true. It doesn't actually have to be true. It doesn't have to have any credibility. But what happens is psychologically, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, my Uncle Jimmy said that. I, I think, yeah, right. And you begin to believe. And, and here's the thing that we've been told over and over and over again, so much so that we've begun to believe it's true. And that's that anytime you see Xmas, it's from the 50s or 60s or 70s, some godless secular movement to try and remove Jesus and God from everything. And instead of having Christ in Christmas, they're literally removing Jesus's name and putting an X there to cross him out, Right? The problem is like history and reality and facts, right? Actually, this abbreviation Xmas actually began hundreds of years ago by monks. And here's why the monks did it, because the monks knew the Greek language, right? And the monks knew that the first letter of Christ is the letter chi, and it looks like an X. And so in their shorthand, they began to put an X in the place of of Christ. In fact, um, not only is Xmas the, the place you see it, sometimes you also see it and they'll put X-I-A-N, right? For Christian, right? The shorthand, it became shorthand for them. It was a placeholder of Jesus's name, of his title, Christ, right? And, and here's why we do this. Because what is inevitably going to happen is that you're going to invite someone to Xmas at MCC, or you're going to share something on Facebook or Instagram, and someone's going to message you, or they're going to grab you in a hallway at work, and they're going to say, you know what that X means. They're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. And you're going to be able to go, well, actually, actually, it's a reminder, because he, here's the thing. Um, none of us say Christ Mass right? No, none of us actually put Christ in Christmas. We all say Christmas, as in like, there's this dude named Chris that we're all celebrating, right? And it becomes a visual, because it feels uncomfortable, it becomes a visual reminder to us of really what's at the heart of the celebration that we have is Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't been here for an Xmas at MCC, um, he, here's a conviction I have, right? Um, I have a strong conviction that we as followers of Jesus should be the most reckless in our celebration of Christmas. Here's what, here's what I've seen in my life, right? I've seen that there are plenty of people who seem tepid about being too overly celebratory of Christmas because they're afraid that they're feeding into the commercialization, the toys and presents of Christmas. So they want to kind of walk somber and sing slow songs. But you realize we of all the people in the world should celebrate most recklessly because we know that Christmas is more than presents or an opportunity for companies to exceed their margins and increase profit. We know that Christmas is far more than just like warm feelings and hugging people and Christmas lights. Christmas is about God himself incarnating into our creation, coming after us. And if there is better news in the world, I don't know what it is. And so we, as followers of Jesus, should be people who celebrate with such recklessness this incredible good news that it says all the angels, armies upon armies upon armies of angels celebrated on that night. And so we, we, we go hard in the paint, 
right? We, we go big. We go aggressive. We like to celebrate. And, and so I hope that you'll plan on joining us. Um, we got three services, Christmas Eve at three and five, and then Christmas Adam on December 20th, because see, Adam came before Eve. Um, so on the 20th, you see, I appreciate the couple laughs. That's like church dad joke right there. Um, on the 23rd, on Christmas Adam, um, at 6 p.m., that's a Friday night, at 6 p.m., the, the three options for you uh, to come. We'd love for you to come and celebrate with us. But here's the other thing, too, okay? Um, I know that the way we celebrate Christmas, like, isn't everybody's jam. And that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. And you know what? I know that maybe, like, you love Xmas at MCC, but you got, like, your Aunt Susie's coming into town. And like, you know Aunt Susie, and you know Aunt Susie, you're like, you're going to hear about it all Christmas if you bring Aunt Susie to Xmas at MCZ. You know what that X stands for, right? You, you know you're going to hear it. On the back of this piece of paper, there is a list of all the churches um, in our community that are having a Christmas Eve service, and we would love, like if the schedule, if, if the style fits you better, go, go celebrate with joy Christmas. And then we'll see you in January, okay? So there you go. Those are your options right there, Xmas and MCC or Christmas Eve. I hope that you will find a way this Christmas to celebrate just big and aggressive because if there's a time that we need to hope to know that God's with us, like this is the time that we need to know that hope. So here we go. Speaking of Christmas, we're doing a series called The Gifts, and, and I want to start with a little um, uh, imagining, okay? So I need everyone to close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes, put all the cash you have in your hands. I'm kidding. Okay, close your eyes and envision a nativity scene, like one of the little little toy ones, okay? Uh, maybe it's your grandma's nativity. Maybe it's a nativity scene you have. Envision a nativity scene. Maybe, maybe it's the nativity scene if you're in person, you walked in the lobby and there, it was sitting right there in the lobby. See it? Okay, okay, you see baby Jesus laying there in the basket of hay or the X thing of hay, you see Joseph and Mary standing there or, or sitting or kneeling. Um, maybe you see some sheep, some donkey. You see it. You got your eyes closed. You see it. Um, if, if you bought the same nativity scene that we bought um, on Amazon, maybe there's some pigs, which I have no clue why in a Jewish nativity scene there are pigs. Maybe there's a giraffe or an elephant in yours, right? Probably an angel at the top, Okay. Okay, now open your eyes. How many wise men are in that nativity scene? Three, three. Anybody know how many wise men were at the nativity? Zero, zero. Sometimes people will say this. Sometimes people will say, well, we don't know. All we know is there are three gifts. No, actually, we do know that there weren't any wise men at the nativity because actually um, the, the whole birth of Jesus happens while the wise men are trying to find Jesus, right? You remember the story, King Herod, the wise men come to King Herod and they say, hey, we've seen a star. We're looking for the birth of the king of the Jews. And it was a real awkward conversation for Herod because you know what Herod's title was? The king of the Jews. <laughs> They're like, we want to worship him. And Herod's like, me too. You let me know when you find him, right? And then it says this, Matthew 2. Matthew 2, it says this, they, being the wise men, entered the house. So pause right there. We're in a different scene. We're in a different place, right? Jesus was born in a stable or in a cave. 
And we're in a different place here. They entered the house and saw the child, no longer a baby, right? Toddler, a little kid, right? This is probably why um, when Herod goes to have all the kids under two years old executed, it's because he can put the timeline together and know that it's not just a baby we're talking about. It's someone who's under the age of two. He's probably a year and a half or so. It says this, a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and let's just be honest, like that's a weird baby shower set of gifts, right? There's a the song, you know the song, right? A baby shivering in the cold. Do you hear what I hear, right? Baby shivering in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold, right? There's a comedian who does a bit about it. He's like, how about a blanket? Like, can we bring him a blanket? Like a onesie? Maybe some of those hand warmers you could shake it up and like stuff it around him. He's cold. Why are we bringing him silver and gold and this juice thing and this putty stuff, right? But it's no coincidence. In fact, what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is that each one of these things that are brought to Jesus are intended to be symbols, are intended to remind us of a place and a role and a part of Jesus's ministry in his life and what's going to happen. He, this is just for free. This is a little bit of tangent, but um, isn't it amazing that God uses pagan priests to foretell the role of his, of his son? These, these aren't Jews, Right? These aren't people who come to worship the God of the Jews. These are pagan priests, pagan wise men, pagan magi, pagan religious leaders. And God's so sovereign and God's so big. And the news of Jesus' celebration is so big that he invites even those from distant lands to come and celebrate and be a part of the proclaiming of the goodness of Jesus and his life and what he's going to do. So one of the gifts they bring is this one right here. This is what we're going to look at today is this one, frankincense. Now, um, I, I, was, I was thinking, there are probably some of us who are more aware of frankincense than um, maybe in generations have been aware of frankincense because of this whole industry around essential oils, right? Because if you do essential oils, you, you probably know frankincense. I went to one of the websites that sells essential oils, and I looked up the description of the benefit of essential oils, Okay, uh, of this, of frankincense, of this oil here. Okay, so this is what it says. Antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vulnerary. I don't know what half of those words mean. Therapeutic properties. The description went on to say this, that, um, uh, that frankincense is known as the Swiss army knife of essential oils. So, so on, on one level, like there's actually something a little practical. Um, when we had our uh, second child, he, he was the first son that we had. We had a baby shower and um, one of the ladies in the church brought a first aid kit, right? About this big, lots of band-aids, lots of band-aids, gauze, all that kind of stuff. And my wife took it and was like, <laughs> thanks. It's kind of a weird baby shower gift. And the lady looked at her and she goes, you haven't had boys yet, have you? You're going to need that, right? And there's some kind of about this, right? Like there is some practical value. There's a lot of medicinal value to this. And 
You know, maybe the wise men were like, <laughs> you got a boy, firstborn boy, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time in the ER. Here you go. Right? But there's actually another role that frankincense plays in the Jewish life. Frankincense is one of the oils that they would burn on the altar um, with the, they, they would say that uh, you can read about this in Hosea. They talk about that it would ascend with the prayers of the people. And it would burn and there'd be this really bright white smoke that would send up into the heavens and it would be a symbol, a reminder to the people as they prayed that their prayers were being lifted up to the Lord and that the Lord would smell this oil burning and you would hear the prayers of his people. It was a part of the tool used by the priests to serve in their role and their job. And when we see this here, this gift, it should remind us of the priestly role of Jesus, that Jesus, Jesus is our high priest. This is what Hebrews 4 tells us, right? Hebrews 4 tells it this way. It says this, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, just in case you're curious about who he's referring to, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. Just, just pause for a moment and, and just sit on that. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. He understands our weakness. Sometimes I find in myself and I find in others, we, we, we can develop what, um, what, what I like to call like a Mr. T theology, right? You remember Mr. T? Right? I, I don't do a good impersonation of Mr. T, so you're just going to have to bear with me, right? But, right what was his, his phrase? He said all that, a pity the fool, a pity the fool, right? And some of us explicitly or implicitly have got the picture of God that God's like sitting up on his throne, ruling over everything, and he sees you down there and he just goes, a pity the fool, right? You wake up in the morning, your tire's flat when you go out to your car and you're like, ah! And God goes, well, if you got up early enough to read your Bible this morning, a pity the fool, right? And he looked at you and... Well, if you hadn't messed up when you were 16, a pity the fool, right? And then God just sits back up in heaven at some distance, looking down at us with shame and disappointment, right? If you hadn't made that career choice, if you hadn't married that person, if you hadn't engaged in that activity, <laughs> sucks for you. The problem is, that's exactly contrary to everything scripture teaches us about the God we worship and serve. Look at what it says. He understands our weakness. Other translations will use this word. It'll say that he empathizes with our struggles. You know the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, I feel sorry for you. Empathy, I feel sorry with you. That the God that we worship, that the, the high priest that serves on our behalf, that, that ushers our prayers before the Father, who stands and mediates between us and the Father, who offers this perfect sacrifice for us, that he is a God who knows the pain we feel today. Like, like maybe, maybe, maybe today you feel like totally stressed out. 
just overwhelmed with just like, I mean, maybe the holidays is extra just pressing stress on you. Maybe there's finances and inflation and chaos on your job, and there's just this stress pounding down on you. Do you know that the God that we worship, like there was a moment in his life where he was so consumed with stress, he began to sweat drops of blood. He understands our weakness. He empathizes with our struggles, with our pains. Maybe, maybe uh, this season's hard for you because your family's crazy. And between Thanksgiving and New Year's, you're expected to spend a lot of time with family. And it's like dysfunctional and it's a mess and it always ends up in fights and arguments. And if your family's not dysfunctional, you know the old joke, right? Like you're the dysfunction right? That our families are messed up and chaotic and busted and they, they, they look down on you and they make snide comments and, and, and you know that there's shame and embarrassment around you or disappointment in you. You remember Jesus is out. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God is here and he's healing people. And you know what his family does? They show up and go, uh, sorry, sorry, excuse us, excuse us. He's a little nuts. Don't worry, we're going to take him home. You just, sorry, we're going to take Jesus home. We're, we'll, we'll put him back. We're going to put him back in the house, right? Like he, he, knew, he knew what it was to have a family who turned his back on him. In fact, the birth of Jesus, it's crazy. Think about this, okay? You know why they go to Bethlehem? Because it's where Joseph's family's from and Joseph bring backs a woman who's pregnant out of wedlock. His family lives in Bethlehem and no one opens a door for it. Like Jesus knew what it meant to be unwanted, to be an outsider. Maybe like Jesus, you, you know, you grew up in a small enough community and you developed a reputation that you just like still carry everywhere you go. And maybe you live in a different place and nobody knows that reputation, but you still like carry it like a coat and you know it. Like this, this, is, this is what Jesus did. In fact, the reputation followed him all the way around. At one point in time, they criticized Jesus and they're like, <laughs> Jesus, Messiah, Savior? Isn't he just, he's just the bastard boy. Maybe, maybe you know that. The, the, the high priest that we worship, he understands our weakness. He empathizes with our struggle. Maybe in the last couple of years, you felt betrayal. You felt rejection. Have, have you had people that you like lived life with, loved, walked with, went through struggles, prayed with? And then one little thing and all of a sudden it erodes and a chasm develops between you. Like Jesus spent years walking with the disciples and then the night of his greatest need, Peter rejects him after Judas betrays him. Like Jesus knows betrayal. Here's the crazy thing about the story of Peter. The gospels make it pretty clear that um, whether Jesus could hear 
Peter's rejection or not, he could see Peter and he knew what he was doing and he made eye contact with Peter as he denied him. Like Jesus knows betrayal and rejection and loneliness. And in his darkest, hardest moments, he was alone. This is, this is our high priest. I love, there's this passage and it says, um, it says that when we don't have words, that the spirit groans on our behalf. Here's, it's an amazing passage because God weeps with us he, he aches with us. He empathizes with us. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling me. But, but here's the other thing that I think is so amazingly profound, okay? Sometimes there are aches in this world that even God doesn't have words for. He aches with us in a way where all he can do is groan with us. Like when we think of the frankincense, we should be reminded of the God that we worship who made a way for us, who, who, who stands in the gap for us, who understands the pain and the heartache and the struggle that we feel today. But it doesn't end there. In fact, this little passage doesn't end there. There's another verse that says this. So because of, therefore, because of who Jesus is, look at this, let us come boldly, aggressively, confidently, with swagger. If there was ever a Sean translation of the Bible, it would say that. Come walking in with a swagger limp. Like you are the toughest dude around. Come walking boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I, I love the, the writer of Hebrews, like just right before he was telling us about how gracious God is, but he has to bring it back because he knows that we've probably already forgotten three sentences, Right? of our gracious God, and there we will receive judgment. No. There we'll receive rebuke. There we'll receive condemnation. No. It says, come boldly, and there we will receive mercy. Man, I, I wonder, I wonder today for how many of us we are people desperate in need of mercy and grace. Frankincense should remind us that we have a good high priest who invites us, who knows the pain that we carry, the shame that we carry, and he invites us to come boldly, not with King James language, right? Not, thee, Lord, I beseech thee, right? not all perfectly put together, not with everything in order in your life, but to come boldly as just a mess, as a dumpster fire of a life, come boldly before him. And there we will find mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. See, here's the thing. I got a couple kids, right? Um, my kids, when they want something from me, they, they um, well, some things you have to know about my kids. If you don't know my kids, they're probably watching right now online. If you don't know about my kids, they're like a 98th percentile for everything, okay? 
Um, they're huge. Um, and my son is just, um, there is not a wall that he's seen that he doesn't want to run through. In fact, at the previous house we, we left, there was a staircase that went like this, and then there was a platform, and then a staircase went like this. One time, he was about two years old, he was going down the steps, and you know, like a good responsible parent, I was watching him and making sure that, you know. Uh, anyways, so he's going down the steps. His head, which in toddlers is proportionally larger than their bodies, gets out in front of his feet. So he begins to stumble down the steps. And he's just like, have you had this experience where you're just kind of just catching yourself, just enough to keep yourself upright, but you can't stop yourself? And so he stumbles down the steps. He hits the platform. He can't make the corner because his, his weight is pulling him all this direction. And he just goes head first right into the sheetrock, just poof. And he stands up because he catches himself with the sheetrock. And he turns and he walks down the rest of the steps. And I go to look at the wall, and there is a hole in the wall about the size of a golf ball where his forehead went into the wall, right? So when my son comes to me, and he wants something from me, right? He doesn't come, oh, daddy, please, would you maybe consider? In our house, we have that, like, fake wood plank laminate floor stuff all over the place, so our house is very loud and echoey, Right? If my son wants something from me, this is what he does. He runs from his room, and it sounds like this. Daddy! 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 And if I'm talking to someone, we haven't really got the interruption thing down yet, he'll stand in between us. Daddy! 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 And then if I don't listen, then he'll start touching me, right? Daddy! 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 Can we go outside? Right? You know why? Because my son knows that I love him. So he comes boldly. He comes with confidence. He comes with anticipation. Maybe today. Maybe today, man, there is just weight. There is pain. There's heartache. There's fear. There's brokenness. There's shame. The invitation today is that we come with boldness. Daddy, 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 I need you. Here's the best thing. We're going to end with this. Hebrews 10. I love this. It tells us about what Jesus has done and why we can come boldly. It says this, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. He wants you to feel kind of the the hopelessness of this. But then it says this, but our high priest, right? Jesus, but our high priest, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Good for all time. Then he sat down. Because it's done. Everything needed for you to be a son or a daughter of the king. Everything needed for you to come waltzing in with boldness in front of your father is done. So I pray that wherever you are this morning, whatever's going on in your life, that you might have the confidence as a dearly loved son or daughter of God, just as you are, to come boldly into the throne of God, to come before him and to ache and to pour out your brokenness and your fear, knowing that we worship a God who weeps with us. We worship a God who groans 
with us. We worship a God who loves us and wants to embrace us and walk with us and carry us through. And so I pray that you might have the boldness to be honest with him this morning.